But as we've heard already, that the, that the history of the Bible is in one sense, beloved, the history of the enemy seeking to stop Christmas from coming. The enemy trying to stop Christmas from coming. And whenever I um, think of the enemy seeking to stop Christmas from coming, you know what I am reminded of. I'm reminded of Dr. Seuss. And that wonderful story that he tells, uh, one of my favorite stories from the childhood around the Christmas time, that story, that well-known story of that grouchy, lonely, solitary creature known as the Grinch who tried to steal Christmas. And uh, we are familiar with the story, aren't we? There was a little village called Whoville where all the Who's lived. And the Grinch, being miserable, wanted all others to be miserable along with him, particularly at Christmas time. And therefore, he devised a plan that he would sneak into Whoville on Christmas Eve and he would steal Christmas from the Who's. And so on that Christmas Eve, he came down from his lair. And on the cover of night on Christmas Eve, he came in and he stole the Christmas trees and he stole the Christmas lights and he stole the presents and he stole the trimmings and he even stole all the food. And having gotten away clean, he went up upon the hill that overlooks the town and he waited for dawn, Christmas morning, to come. And as he waited for Christmas morning to come, no doubt he was rather proud of himself, beloved. Rather proud that he was able to pull off this caper. So on that Christmas morning, you might recall, he stood there and he listened. He listened for the sounds that would come from Whoville because he expected to hear crying from children and groaning from the parents. And he, expe he expected to hear misery as he had experienced and was experiencing misery. He expected the Who's to be as miserable as he was because they had no Christmas. But instead of hearing moaning and groaning, you remember the story? He heard something quite different. He heard singing and rejoicing. And this is how Dr. Seuss put it. Speaking of the Grinch, he said, he stared down at Whoville. The Grinch popped his eyes. Then he shook. What he saw was a shocking surprise. Every Who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. 
He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages and boxes and bags. And he puzzled three hours till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Beloved, seeking to stop Christmas from coming is not new. It was not invented by the Grinch. But on the contrary, beloved, in fact, before there was a Grinch, there was a Herod. But it didn't begin with Herod, beloved, because before the Grinch there was Herod, and before Herod there was Haman. Read about Haman and Esther. But before Haman there was Goliath. Seeking to destroy David and the people of God. But before Goliath, there was Pharaoh who sought to destroy the people and the purposes of God. But before Pharaoh and all of the others, there was the serpent himself in the Garden of Eden seeking to undermine and to thwart the purposes and the plan and to destroy the people of God. You know, you read in the scriptures, you think about Christmas, and if you look at the timeline that the Bible lays out, beloved, Christmas was a long time coming. As we saw, and Mary Brantley read from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, the Lord, had, the Lord God had promised that there would one day be a grand Christmas when the seed of the woman of the woman would come forth. But the interesting thing is that when that Christmas finally came, when Christ was born, beloved, the seed of the serpent from the garden, the enemy himself, immediately, immediately tries to steal, kill and destroy him. Steal, kill, and destroy him. And so therefore, it is important for us to remember, beloved, that the real significance of Christmas is not that Jesus was born, but that he who was born of a virgin lived, and that he who lived died. And he who died was 
raised from the dead and conquered death and the grave and hell and even Satan himself. This is the real significance of, of Christmas, beloved, and that is why Satan wouldn't have it without a fight. And so Christmas, therefore, beloved, is about warfare. And when you read the, the narratives of the birth of Jesus, I want you to read the narratives and you see all of the joy and all of the rejoicing and all of the glad tidings. But that is not all the story. For up until this point of our text in Matthew chapter 2, in the birth story, all we have is the glory and wonder of God. But beginning in Matthew 2, verse 13, beloved, we begin to witness the treachery and the terror of not just Herod himself, but of Satan, the seed of the serpent, the enemy of God's people. This is what Christ was up against. This is what Christ was up against all the days of his life, beloved. He was up against the treachery of the enemy. And the treachery and the terror of the devil knows no bounds. Yes, yes, yes. When you look at this account, yes, these are the words of Herod, beloved. These are the actions of the king of the Jews. This is the life and heart of Herod, but don't be mistaken that what you read about here is the purposes and the plans of Satan at work. From the very beginning, and there's certain things you should know that this text teaches and to be mindful of. And real quick, and the first one is, is that Herod is a flunky. Okay? And I don't want you to miss that. Herod is a flunky. What is a flunky? A flunky is a menial servant. One who does the bidding of another unquestionably and without quarters. And look at what we have in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. Now when they had departed, speaking of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, I mean, speaking of the shepherds, when they had departed, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to do what? Search for the child to destroy him. 
Search for the child to destroy him. Because Herod is on a search and destroy mission. A search and destroy mission. And when you see people in the scriptures on searching and destroying missions against the purposes and will of God, be mindful that the enemy is behind that. Because this is who he is. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, what does the Bible tell us? How does the Bible describe the enemy? That he is a thief who comes to do what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. This is his M.O., beloved. This is his method of operation. This is the way he goes about his work. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Herod is on a search and destruction mission. And he's going to search out and destroy the incarnation of the Son of God himself. That's what the enemy does. That's what the enemy does in 1 Peter chapter 5 and, and verse 8. How are we warned? Be sober-minded. Be watchful. For your enemy, your adversary, the devil does what? He prowls around like a roaring like lion. Seeking someone to devour. Herod was doing the devil's bidding. Herod was an instrument of Satan to bring to nothing the plan and the purposes and the people of God. But beloved Though he was Satan's flunky, like Satan, therefore, Herod's plans were frustrated. The flunky had his plans frustrated. You recall in Matthew chapter 2 and beginning in verse 8, how Herod, the Bible says, speaking of Herod in his discussion with the wise men, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He had a plan. He had put a plan in motion. And the reason he had a plan, beloved, is again, he is the devil's flunky, and Satan always has a plan. He had a plan from the, for the undermining of God's people from the very beginning, whether it's in the garden, whether it's in Bethlehem, or whether it's in your own life. The enemy has a plan. And he has a scheme for undermining your faithfulness. He has a plan for derailing you and setting you off to the side so that you become ineffective. He has a plan for your demise, destruction, and death. 
Don't be deceived. He always has a plan. This is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11, we are told not to be ignorant of his devices. We are told not to be ignorant of his schemes. And his plans and his schemes, beloved, are shot through, shot through with deception and lies. Shot through with deception and lies. This is who he is. In John chapter 8, in verse 44, how does the Bible describe Satan? Jesus says, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And what is his desire? Jesus says, well, he's a murderer from the beginning. He did not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And what was Herod doing when he's speaking to those wise men? He was engaging in a murderous lie. He had a plan. It was a murderous plan. He had a plan and a scheme, and it was based upon a lie. He had no intention of going to Bethlehem so that he might worship Christ. Satan always has lies, beloved. You and I need to be understood. We need to understand that the lies of Satan are no match for the truth of God. And the plans and the schemes of the devil and Herod are no match for the plans and the purposes of God. Love it. And they never are. In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, the Bible tells us, doesn't it, that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Job, in chapter 42, in verse 2, the Bible says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Satan can scheme, Satan can plan, and Herod can plan, and Herod can scheme, but the purposes and plans of God will stand. And so we see in our text that Herod was frustrated because he had a scheme and he had a plan, but that scheme and that plan came to nothing because the Bible says quite literally that Herod was tricked, that he was tricked. The angel warned Joseph, and Joseph took the baby, the mother, the baby Jesus, to Egypt. Then the angel warned the wise men, and, and the wise men never reported back to Herod. Such are the best laid wicked plans of mice and wicked men. And Herod was frustrated. He hadn't heard back from the wise men. His plan was falling apart. His schemes were coming to naught. 
And what happens when the enemy's plans get frustrated, beloved? Oh, he don't give up. He just gets furious. And so this flunky, whose plans got frustrated, became what the Bible says, furious. Furious. See that in verse 16? Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Now again, beloved, I don't want you to miss this because up until this this time and all the songs that we sing, around Christmas time, everything at this time of this birth narrative, it has been all singing and it has been all rejoicing. It has been all angelic choirs and little drummer boys. But here in Matthew chapter 2, we have the brutal and blood reminder of why Jesus came into the world in the first place. There is evil and wickedness and the terror of sin that rules and reigns in the hearts of men and women. And they are under, they are under the influence, they are under the dominion of the evil one and left to our own devices would be given over to murderous lies and deceit. You see it here in Herod. Beloved, it couldn't get any more murderous. It couldn't get any more evil. Right here, smack dab, while the angels are singing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Satan and his minions. Kill. Countless numbers of babies. stark reminder in the midst of our singing that Jesus came to do battle. There's a warfare and he came to conquer our sin. The frustration of Herod, beloved, gives way to this fury and he unleashes this unholy rage. You can imagine the horror that gripped Bethlehem as Herod 
sends his death squad through killing baby boys. Reminded that Herod was a monster, beloved. He was an evil man. He was brutal. He was a sadistic ruler. And under the influence of Satan, not only was he a liar, but he was a murderer. And we are reminded again here that Satan knows no bounds. He knows no limits. If you are not reminded of anything else this morning, be reminded of this. Therefore, a Christmas, beloved, is not about ribbons and tags. It's not about packages or boxes or bags. It is about warfare. It is about spiritual warfare. And 1 John in chapter 3 and verse 8 tells us, and it is about the Son of God being born to conquer our sin and to do what? To destroy the works of the devil. That's why Christ was born. That's why Christ came into the world. To conquer our sin and destroy the works of the devil. To that end, beloved, and we see that this flunky, this flunky, who had a plan that was frustrated, and because his plan was frustrated, became furious and engaged in one of the most evil acts in the history of humanity, yet ultimately, all of his fury. And all of his frustration failed. 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 It always fails, beloved. Herod, Herod wasn't the first one to try to destroy Christmas. He wasn't the first one to try to destroy Jesus Christ, nor would he be the last. Nor would he be the last, beloved. Herod's going to die real soon here. And the enemy is going to raise up more all throughout the life of Christ, seeking to undermine and destroy the purposes and the plans of God. The enemy will lose Herod very soon, but he's not giving up the fight. Herod and the devil tried to creep Christmas from coming, beloved. You know why? Because Herod was scared. He was scared. And the reason he was scared is because the coming of he who is king of kings is a frightful thought. But like every Grinch has discovered, beloved, Christmas came anyway. 
Christ came anyway. Christ came anyway. Pharaoh couldn't stop it and came anyway. Haman couldn't stop him and came anyway. Goliath couldn't stop it. He came anyway. Herod couldn't stop it. Satan himself couldn't stop God's plans, which have been established forever. It comes anyway. Satan couldn't stop Christ from being born. He tried, but he couldn't. And not only could he not stop Christ from being born, Satan couldn't stop Jesus from dying on the cross. And he tried, beloved, but he couldn't get that accomplished either. And not only couldn't he stop Christ from dying on the cross, Satan couldn't stop Christ from raising from the dead. He couldn't. He wants to get that. He wanted to get that accomplished, but he couldn't. And not only could he not stop Christ from raising from the dead, Satan couldn't stop Christ from building his church. And not only could he not stop him from building the church, Satan couldn't stop him from saving you. And he tried. And not only could he not stop him from saving you, Satan can't stop him from getting you home. And he's going to try, beloved. He's trying today. Would you place your trust and the king who not only came, but understand this. Satan knows it. And you and I should know it. There's another Christmas coming. And Satan is trying his best to stop that one too, beloved. But as he didn't stop the first one, like the Grinch realized, it came. It came just the same. And there is another Christmas coming. The Lord our God is not finished yet. Despite what the naysayers say, beloved, Jesus is coming again. Despite what the doubters doubt, Jesus is coming again. Despite what the Skeptics say there is another Christmas coming. And every Christmas, beloved, just remember, every Christmas is one Christmas closer to the last Christmas. When the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. And the voice once again of the angels and the trumpets of God. And if you think it was loud out there with the shepherds, you just wait until that last Christmas comes. You let the doubters doubt and you let the mockers mock. And they have reason, because like Herod, they have reason to be frightful. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, the Bible says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. 
But those of us who are trusting in the Lord, what do we say? Oh, Lord, you come. You come. You come. You come, Lord. For those who doubt, beloved, it will be frightful. But for those who trust, the Lord's coming is delightful. And even though we don't know what time he will come, we say, let him come, let him come, let him come. Let him come, let him come, let him come. Let him come, Lord, let him come, let him come. Every time we come to the Lord's table, beloved, that's what we are saying. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We, your people, are waiting for you. You come. We, your people, want to be found faithful. You come. We, your people, want to persevere. You come, Lord Jesus, come. And in the cup and in the bread are the gracious reminders that our Lord has promised to come again. This Christmas, beloved, is just one more Christmas closer to that last Christmas. And we sing, come Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray.